Ladies and gentlemen, good evening and welcome to the Leicester Square Theatre for No Pressure To Be Funny, created by Alistair Barry and Nick Revel and podcasting on the British Comedy Guide. Yes, it's the West End where the streets are paved with gold and podcast, which means listeners at home will only be able to imagine the unutterable glitz and glamour of our surroundings. It is literally like Lady Gaga's wardrobe in here. <laughs> to start the show, we must welcome our host, a man for whom our West End transfer is a matter of supreme satisfaction, mainly because the LBC studios are a mere three feet away. Please welcome Mr. James O'Brien! <laughs> Good evening, and welcome to No Pressure To Be Funny, the topical panel show that remembers stories in a way that James Murdoch never could. <laughs> we return after a summer that was one of the least silly, silly seasons in recorded memory. From the Japanese tsunami, through war in Libya and famine in Somalia, to phone hacking and riots closer to home. The only cuddly animal story we got was the news that otters are making a comeback across the UK. Once, once bordering on extinction, numbers are now so healthy that they have recently been spotted building riverside homes in Kent. Which proves that otters now have a better credit rating than most first-time buyers. Or America. Over the summer, the nation was appalled as riots spread through many inner cities. Although we prefer to look at it as an extreme version of supermarket sweep. As, as if to illustrate the class divide across the country, where student protesters had occupied Fortnum and Masons, the rioters went for footlocker and poundland. When asked why he was ransacking poundland, one looter replied, because it's cheaper. And the aftermath led to calls for draconian punishment from the right and greater understanding from the left. The truth, of course, is probably somewhere in the middle. But it's safe to say that if they locked up everyone who has ever done anything really stupid on Facebook, there would be a lot fewer people in this audience <laughs> staring at an empty stage. <laughs> David Cameron's response was impressive. He came back from only his fourth holiday of the year, almost immediately, and took control. Standing in front of some graffiti recently created by young conservatives in his Cotswold constituency, he was able to lecture us in great detail on inner-city gang culture. Next summer, Dappy from N-dubs at the Henley Regatta. Cameron told the looters in no uncertain terms, I warn you, you are potentially damaging your entire future. And that's my job. <laughs> of course, things quietened down considerably in the autumn, as much of Britain's feral youth left the country to play for England in the Rugby World Cup. In other news, the news of the world closed. I don't know how you heard about it. I found out by hacking into the phone of a dead journalist. It's what he would have wanted. <laughs> As the fallout continued for News International, it was revealed that Tony Blair is godfather to Rupert Murdoch's son, who was christened in the very same spot in the River Jordan as Jesus Christ. 
I'm sorry, that, that should be Jesus Christ was christened in the very same spot in the River Jordan as Rupert Murdoch's son. James Murdoch can't remember where he was christened. In Libya, it looks like Colonel Gaddafi has been toppled. This took a little longer than expected, although everyone else joined in after France took the initiative. I guess they all thought, if the French are getting involved, how dangerous can this possibly be? <laughs> Gaddafi loyalists in Sirte are still under siege as we speak, and given that NATO became involved to protect civilians, and strictly speaking, it should be about time they changed sides. The British government could certainly give them a few pointers on that. <laughs> and as far as the economy is concerned, they are predicting a new recession. And maybe this is just me, but did anyone notice the last one finish? <laughs> Stock markets around the world have all been nervous over the summer, which is amazing, really, when you look at the arrogant pricks who work for them. <laughs> Although, obviously, I don't mean the ones who might hire me for a corporate booking. <laughs> this week, the jobless total hit a 17-year high, and the chances are that by the end of the show, Liam Fox will have pushed that figure even higher. <laughs> Dr Fox has disclosed that Adam Werity did in fact meet him on around 50 occasions, up from the 14 he admitted to last week. These are the sort of growth figures that this government would ordinarily kill for. And, and finally, this week, Tesco has released its own figures showing its smallest profit in 20 years. You try telling them that every little helps. <laughs> the solution, of course, is simple. Start selling otters. <laughs> There's a lot of them about, and it would free up a lot of affordable housing in Kent. Thank you very much. It is no exaggeration to say that our first guest this evening is half the man he was. But that's rowing machines, lighter life, and massive willpower for you. Luckily, his talents have diminished not one whit, and so it is a genuine pleasure to welcome back No Pressure and Radio 4 regular, Mr. Mitch Ben. one a few months ago when uh, the Justice Minister clarified something which we'd all been wondering about. If someone sneaks into your home to try to steal your stuff away, don't beg for mercy, why not monkers, it's your lucky day. It's been confirmed officially what we all thought at last. It's legal to go totally Michael Myers on his ass. Stab a Confronted in your kitchen by light-fingered reprobates Don't call the coppers, just embrace your inner Norman Bates Stab a burglar, stab a burglar For a bit of light relief, just stab a thief Now all good-thinking people keep their houses fully stocked With valuables on full display and windows left unlocked As the ne'er-do-well sneak in in search of ill-gotten rewards We'll be stifling a titter in the wardrobe-wielding sword Stab a burglar, stab a burglar it's in the law, it says verbatim, go ahead, eviscerate him, stab a burglar, stab a burglar. No reforms or education, what they want is lacerations. If you're not lucky enough to find one in your home at night, who cares? Ask the bobbies down the station for a go on one of their stab a burglar, stab a burglar. 
Contributors. Our first panellist this evening is an award-winning author and journalist who has written four publications ranging from Smash Hits and The Face to The Guardian and The Mirror. She is presently the Observer's radio critic, but has thus far managed to completely ignore the city's premier phone-in host's excellent <laughs> mid-morning programme. <laughs> Please welcome Miranda Sawyer. Our next guest is a human rights lawyer and founder of the legal charity Reprieve. He has worked on behalf of defendants facing the death penalty in the US for over 25 years, as well as campaigning against torture and the use of drones in Pakistan. Far more importantly for comedic purposes, he was also accused by the American authorities of trying to smuggle contraband underwear into Guantanamo Bay. <laughs> Clive Stafford-Smith. And, and finally, it is a pleasure to welcome a genuine comedy legend. News quiz and have I got news for you, panellist, writer of Drop the Dead Donkey and Outnumbered, and perhaps the greatest accolade of all, as it's his second appearance, no pressure to be funny regular, Andy Hamilton. As, as regulars will know, the panel begins with a section of the show which we call The Devil's Advocate, where one of our guests takes a slightly contrary position on one of the day's stories, and as the star of Old Harry's Game, it is perhaps suitable that this task should fall to Andy Hamilton with this evening the motion that The Devil's Advocate believes that David Cameron has every right to have full confidence in Dr. Liam Fromm. Well, no, I don't see why you're laughing at that. <laughs> of course, he's right to have full confidence in him. Uh, to be honest, I'm glad, this, I'm glad it's this topic, because I've been appalled by... Uh, I think it's an indictment of the cynicism that is now uh, rife in this country, that this story is being written up as a story about political corruption rather than as a celebration of male friendship. <laughs> Seriously, what is wrong with you people? It's not a scandal, it's a bromance. <laughs> all right? I mean, those are, we've all got friends. We know we've all been in situations like this. I think, broadly speaking, what's been happening is something like this. Liam Fox has been out on his travels, and he's, I know, he's been in Sri Lanka. He's gone to see the president of Sri Lanka, and he said, look, Mr. President... I know this is a top-level governmental meeting and everything, uh, but do you mind if my mate sits in? <laughs> Only he, he's a bit clingy uh, and a bit, you know, but I don't want to hurt his feelings and, you know, so if you could just make him feel important, make him feel like he's at the centre of things, play along, you know. 
if he gives you an arms deal to sign, just sign it, <laughs> will it? Just, just as a favour to me. That's, that's what's supposed because that's what you do with friends, isn't it? If a friend is in trouble, you know, or needs your support, if a friend's in financial need, you don't hesitate. You put your hand in someone's pocket, and that's what, <laughs> that's what he's been doing. And, uh, you know, as for Cameron, I think Cameron's handling it very well, because, you know, he shouldn't rush to pass judgment on Liam Fox. That would be very unwise, because Liam Fox is, is popular uh, with, the fu- with, the, with the far right of the, the party. He's popular, and he's been anointed as a, a future leader, and uh, um, Mrs. Thatcher was at his birthday party. Um, she, she probably didn't know that. Um, and there have been some people who said it was very cynical to wheel the old girl out, you know, in her medical condition, but um, she probably enjoyed the lights and the music, so I, I haven't got a problem with it. Um, the other thing about Cameron's position is I think he, he's obeying the oldest political adage in the book, which is that he's not kicking Fox out of cabinet because as Lyndon Baines Johnson's famously said, it is better to have them inside the tent pissing out rather than outside the tent pissing in. Um, it's an iron rule of politics which, which the last Labour government completely ignored and ended up with a tent full of piss. That's what they had. But, um, so, so fundamentally, I think Cameron's handling it beautifully. I think all, you know, he is, he's putting the proper wheels in motion. He has ordered the civil service to do a thorough investigation to find out what is in any communications between Adam Warrity and Liam Fox. And if they fail to turn up anything on that front, then he'll just ask Andy Coulson for the transcripts. Who's over Andy Hamilton? Well, he's won me over. <laughs> <laughs> That's what I'm worried about. <laughs> no, seriously, I'm, I'm, I'm on board with this. I was seeing the movie in my head starring Bradley Cooper and Seth Rogen. It's happening in my head. <laughs> I think it's quite like... Do you, did anyone ever watch that programme called Entourage? Mm. And it, that's what it reminds me of. Because it's like, if you... The, my background is pop music, and basically, if you interview somebody, they've always got an entourage with them. They have a gopher, don't they? So they're in, mm. in Entourage, there was um, that character Turtle, and he basically dealt the drugs. He was there with the drugs and the kind of trainers and all the stuff that you might need. And that's how I imagine... Werity yeah. with Fox. He just turned up with yeah. yeah, trainers and drugs. Yeah. That somebody with a name like Dr. Fox kind of needs. I think. Clive Stafford Smith, how are you reading the coverage of this story? Because it's oh. it's a very strange phenomenon in that there is a story and then there is quite a strong narrative about the story as well. It's almost what usually falls into the post-mortem territory that after a resignation has happened or after the story's gone away, then you start picking over the carcass of the tail. But people are feasting upon it while it's still alive. Well, I think it's what an unpleasant analogy. <laughs> <laughs> it is. It is horrible. I, I think I have to, uh, you know, 
put out a disclaimer here that I am the incredibly sincere left-wing annoying human rights lawyer. <laughs> and I would, you know, I want to just say for you comedians, and it's really intimidating being amongst this lot, trying a capital case is so easy compared to sitting next to this. <laughs> and actually, I've got to say... Yeah, just but nobody dies. That's yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I think well, more except important. figuratively. Are you telling yeah. me that they always do in my cases, you bastard? <laughs> <laughs> my take on Liam Fox... I come from the countryside and um, down in Dorset, and we have some major civil rights issues down there about uh, foxes. And it <laughs> did strike me, it struck me that we could solve this whole absurd argument by just chasing him around London. <laughs> <laughs> so. There's obviously the NHS bill is going through at the moment, and yeah. I think that that's quite a hard thing for people to get to grips with, meaning that it's quite a complicated piece of legislation, and then they changed it, and and the media generally are kind of slightly ignoring it because it's too hard to get hold of. And the last time it came up, do you remember there was um, Nadine Doris's kind of abortion yes. uh, element? And uh, they concentrated on that. So it seems yes. like they're just concentrating on something that you can get hold of, like Liam Fox has got do a dodgy mate, yeah. rather than you think we get fed a decoy straw every time it comes up. Well, basically. it does. I think somebody, get, somebody gets thrown under the bus. Yeah. Every time this comes up. But yeah, I did, it did yeah. slightly worry me. Well, it's been around. It's, uh, it's interesting that this story must have been, you know, all the civil servants would have been aware of this for ages, wouldn't they? And so the journalists, it, it must have been a story that they've been keeping on the back burner, just waiting for. I, I, I'm not so moment. sure. It was in private eye quite a long time ago. Was and it? Yeah. As I understand it, the anatomy of the timing is that the Guardian spoke to him relatively recently about a meeting with this guy in Dubai. And are there any more uplifting and optimistic words in the English language than a Dubai-based venture capitalist? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> it's almost a synonym for probity, transparency, integrity, and general goodness, isn't it? And, and th this fella is... I hope I can remember this. This fella is... Equaled only by Russian billionaire. Don't talk. Sorry. That <laughs> 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 there is a dispute over some technology which a company that this guy Bolter owned... 3M. Uh, three, he, he, yeah, he sold it to an American company and they, he got paid according to the commercial success, which didn't happen. So he's now suing them to try and get some money that he thinks he should have got had the product been more successful. And The Guardian were talking to him about this a week ago and asked him about this meeting, and he lied, Fox. And Bolter felt that he was being painted as both blackmailer and liar, yeah. so he had to go on the record by saying, no, look, not only was Adam Werity at this meeting that we had with Liam Fox in Dubai, where we discussed this legal action, but here's his comedy business card. <laughs> and that's when I think, in defense yeah. of Fleet Street, yeah. and at risk of popping yeah. the rather more attractive conspiracy theory balloon, that's when the journalists sort of went, what do you mean this bloke's making his own business cards and going out on business with the defence minister? It's, it's sort of... What does this business card say? Defence minister's friend. <laughs> he has... It's about that big. And he, 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 he got a box of House of Commons Bendix after dinner mints and cut the portcullis. <laughs> oh, beautiful. Cut, he cut the portcullis off the side of the... Oh, that's Frank Abagnale stuff, isn't it? <laughs> yes, yes, no, it really is. Yes, that's it Catch is. Me If You Can, it isn't is. it? That's Tom Hanks and Leonardo. Yeah, yeah. He took it to Snappy Snaps and asked them to run up 500. That's and beautiful. he's got another 500 that he had made when Liam Fox was Shadow Health Minister, which described him as a health advisor rather than a defence advisor. But in his defence... I think that was only because he was quoted the same price for a thousand business cards that he was, <laughs> <laughs> that he was for 500. I mean, one of the reasons the innuendo is built is that he's kept lying. 
Yeah. Yes. I mean, yeah. that's the truth of it. And and he can't. And the other reason it's built is because he can't answer the question why. He can't answer the question why was he there, and he hasn't tried to. Yeah. In any of the in his statements, his apology for the impression of wrongdoing which he gave through wrongdoing. <laughs> he, he hasn't, he has at no point said why he was there. So getting back to the point that James is making is, yeah, you're right, what you've now got is you've got two layers of deflection. Mm. Everybody's hung up on, is this guy's boyfriend, when that's not the point. The point is, why has this guy apparently been given sort of some kind of official capacity completely off the books? And then that isn't even the point. The point is that we just privatised the NHS and nobody noticed because we're too busy wondering who Liam Fox's mate is. <laughs> The problem that we have now is there are four people uh, in front of me, and a fifth if you include me, of, of an essentially liberal leftish perspective. So when I say what happened today removes the final obstacle to the Conservatives selling the NHS or giving the NHS to, to American uh, providers and, and turning a profit on it, it will go, I think, unchallenged, will it? I mean, that is how it looks from the outside. and. and one does wonder, as Miranda points out, how the hell this has managed to happen without more people kicking up a fuss. Yeah, well, I think more people haven't been serviced by the American uh, Health Service. I had 26 years in which my wife and I paid $5,000 a year to be totally fucked over by those people. In and, what way? Uh, you know, it was, it was a remarkable experience. And, uh, you know, because I was a lawyer, actually, when I was once having a knee operation, they videotaped the entire operation and gave me a copy at the end of it. <laughs> and, uh, and it well, as, a, as a sort of bonus. Yeah. No, no, as a preemptive strike against the lawsuit. Oh, I'm so sorry. I thought it was a souvenir. Yeah. <laughs> I thought it was like, you know, when you go down the log flume. And let's have a slight change of pace now, with your permission. It's, uh, it's, it's my pleasure to introduce to the stage one of the architects of this evening's entertainment, Mr. Nick Revel, who will do a very short monologue exploiting all the hilarious comic potential of macroeconomic theory. La ladies and gentlemen, with quantitative easing, I give you Nick Revel. Thanks. Um, yeah, I, I, I'm not a qualified uh, economist, although neither is George Osborne, so I feel, <laughs> feel entitled to ask a few questions here. I, I, I was just trying to follow this quantitative easing thing, and as we know, the Bank of England last week announced they're, they're doing another tranche of quantitative easing, and they're putting £75 billion into the economy via the banks. So, I'm thinking this, they want to get it into the economy, okay? I was doing some maths. There's roughly 60 million people in this country, although according to police estimates, it's 250,000. <laughs> <laughs> Joke there for anybody who's been on a demo. Uh, and I was just doing the maths, I was thinking, well, s a billion is a million million. That means that they could give every single person in this country a million pounds each, directly. Why can't they just give the money to us? <laughs> Problem solved, recession solved, unemployment wouldn't matter, everybody can afford a roof over their head. We, we could save Greece simply by going on holiday. <laughs> and the only people who would have a problem with this, because there would be some means testing uh, for the people who have already got enough, uh, obviously I'm talking about the bankers. The bankers would not get any of this money, and, uh, and they were the only people who had a problem, because nobody would need to borrow anymore. And the, the bankers would get a bit itchy because it's a clinically narcissistic process that they go through. They're borderline psychopathic. It's not about the money. They will never have enough. That's something that we will always have that they will never have enough. So they're getting twitchy. So we could start lending 
to the bankers, but on our own terms. <laughs> this is what I would like to see. Firstly, they would have to own up to the fact that when they said they were risk takers who deserve to be uh, remunerated when their risks pay off and then should be bailed out by us when they fail, that they were genuinely just taking the piss. And we would say to them, here's the money, but you can't lend it to any third world dictators or arms dealers. What you've got to do is go around the world just giving it to poor people. Then, when you've apologized to us all for being obnoxious uh, in every situation where we meet you, either professionally or socially, you can then piss off <laughs> and spend the rest of your lives on your yacht in the Mediterranean, which will be crewed by poverty-stricken, angry, resentful, possibly horny Greek seamen. <laughs> That's my proposal, ladies and gentlemen. I think we can get the petition going. Thank you very much. Return our attention now to your wonderful panel, um, and uh, it's, it's, a, it's only fair, I think, given that Clive Stafford-Smith has been kind enough to take time off from uh, representing inmates of death row to come here and entertain you instead, that we should ask him a little about his... Uh, could I describe it as your latest project, which is the, the drone... Obsession, I think. The word. Obsession was the word I was going to use, mm. but after I heard how you spoke to the American Justice Department, I decided to be much more polite. <laughs> uh, which is the drones flying over Pakistan, which not probably that many of us are properly au fait with. Well, I mean, it is, it is my obsession, actually, and you know, one has to be serious for a minute, because you know, what the American government is doing right now, flying these drones over little villages in Waziristan for 24 hours at a time, and they're flying over your house, and then at some point they decide to fire a missile and kill you. And, um, you know, it, it's a sad thing that actually when I was first down in Guantanamo Bay, a Republican said, if you insist on these annoying legal rights for these prisoners, we'll just kill them. And, you know, the truth is that's what they're now doing. And so they have these drones, which politically are very effective because no Americans get killed. But the CIA says, it's so, you know, no civilians get killed. I have photographs of little children who have just been, uh, been, been killed by these things. And I'm headed down to Pakistan in a couple of weeks to get a whole lot more photographs. I don't mind. You can broadcast this on your damn podcast so the ISI can read about it. We're going to give 100 cameras to all these poor people who live in Waziristan so they can take pictures of these drones going round and round above them. And then between midnight and 4 a.m., always, kaboom, they fire a missile at your house. And they're, they're called drones because they're unpiloted. They're yeah, they're unmanned things. So you can, the people sit in, in Nevada playing video games. You, have seen, you can see pictures of their chairs. They have these big leather chairs with video games, and they zap people, and they call it, if you'll believe it, bug splat. That's when they kill some poor little child in Waziristan. One of my projects, I live in Simmonsbury, Dorset, and I want to twin Simmonsbury with some Waziristan village, and I want Banksy to come and do a little Urdu sign outside <laughs> Simmonsbury about how we're going to drone attack people in the manner. What's the ostensible rationale for who they're blowing up? Who is it they say they're they they aiming at? very, very bad people. And, you know... Is that as precise so as they're so willing so to so be? They, they're saying that they're aiming at kind of members of Al-Qaeda. Well, you know, the two latest things that will come out this Sunday, no journalists are allowed to pinch the story from a perfidious <laughs> thing, is that they act, what they do is they fire at some person so that then when everyone comes to the guy's funeral, they can get the bad guys that they think they've fired all of them and kill a whole bunch of civilians. The other thing they do is that they fire at somebody who has a beard, and then anyone who comes to help 
the dying person, they kill them too. Because if you're trying to help some, uh, some you know, Muslim, then you must be a bad guy. It gives a whole new sort of meaning to the sense of the Good Samaritan. And can I say really kind of stupid question? How big are these things? And and what what Do you are know the what? bombs? This, that this is actually what's going to get you in the long run. Is that some of them are the size of my thumbnail? And, very, and they don't cost very much. And very soon, in fact, just last week, the British intelligence said that they've been using it against British people for intelligence. So they will be flying through your living room sometime. Oh, very stop. Soon. But I've got to tell you the good news. The good so, but news hang on, they're not controlled. They, so that's they like can't the drop bombs. They're just they can't drop at bombs. Surveying. There's a lens in the sky. Yeah. Yeah. And then the bombs are on yeah. a bigger plane. And the plane bombs are on bigger planes. And the bombs are on bigger ones, and they, and they push a button and kaboom. And yeah. then... Sorry to be, I just don't really. <laughs> so they Sorry, they're yeah. flying around and they and they they drop a bomb and then they just go away and they reload them or they send yeah. another one out. Right, and they're very cheap and no Americans get killed. And the reason that, sadly, Obama, who I voted for and he's a decent guy, but the reason he does it is no Americans get killed, and you just kill the the, the other guys. And you know, when if you want to surrender to a drone, <coughs> how do you do it? Mm. You put your hands up and then they blow you up. Because there's no way to do that. It's, it's changing the whole world in this sense. And but also, it's turning obviously turning Pakistan, uh, like kind of normal Pakistanis against America. It's annoying. Ninety-three percent of Pakistanis are against it. And so, you know, if you want to win hearts and minds, that's a great way to go about it. I'm confused by the seven percent who are in favour of it. <laughs> yeah. there, there is always seven percent, and they vote for Sarah it's like Palin. Like a Sky News. But look, there's some very good news that came out I want to share with you. Because we mustn't that. be doom and doom. <laughs> the, there's a virus that attacked the drones. It was wonderful. And someone, some ha someone hacked into it and put a virus in the drones so that they couldn't uh, find their right target. And the American military went on to say, well, despite the virus, we're still using them. But there were a couple of quotes that I wanted to share with you because they amused me today when it came up. And one quote said this. I'll have to read it to get it right. Um, two weeks after the virus had struck and destroyed the entire fleet, which uh, whoever's behind it I'm eternally grateful for. I had nothing to do with it. Um, I think the, it was Blackberry. The, <laughs> the, uh, well, yeah, I'm in favor of doing them too with a drone. But the, there was this lovely quote in the U.S. military. I adore those people. In, in addition, it's very hard to be ironic. And um, for comedians, actually, I'm afraid they take your job away from you by calling it bug splat. But yeah. this was the quote. The top command is not situationally cognizant <laughs> of the problems. And the other one they said, the other one they said, this is a great one. They said, the U.S. Air Force doesn't have a true incentive to share weakness. It's not there. I mean, I think there's a wonderful military <laughs> statement for saying we are really fucking up and we don't want to admit what we're doing. But uh, there is hope for us. And you are seeking to just bring this knowledge to a wider audience? Well, no, I'm seeking to take out murder warrants against various CIA agents and various things like that, which is quite entertaining. I'm still smarting from being dropped from this series of the Alan Titchmarsh show. <laughs> oh. yeah, you say it's disgusting, but in the great scheme of things, drones over Pakistan are probably a bigger problem. <laughs> Did you see the politeness survey that came out this week? Have you seen this story? The UK politeness survey. Apparently we are far less rude in this country than we have uh, previously thought ourselves to be. To be fair, only 20% of people responded to the question. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's just... What's the, the, 
The other 80% told the canvasser to fuck off. Yeah. I think that we think that it's a rudest society because... Why? Um, well, because if you look at television, um, then people, the, the stuff that, that is out there now, so say things like EastEnders or Big Brother or The Only Way is Essex and stuff, a lot of what you're con kind of confronted with is a lot of rows. Mm -hmm. So people are kind of told, you know, the drama is kind of shouting at, that shouting at each other in a way yeah. that perhaps it didn't, didn't used to be. So we think that everybody's rowing all the time, but I find people are pretty, pretty all right. I remember... Uh, yeah, we used to have Dixon of Doc Green and now I've got Jeremy Kyle. Yes, exactly. <laughs> I remember yeah. interviewing some teenagers once and they said, and I, we were talking about Big Brother and they said that they'd learned how to row by watching Big Brother, which oh, made me lovely. really depressed. <laughs> they were like, you know, this is what you should do. And you say that, like, you, you kind of be on the saddest things I've yeah. ever heard. I know. Yeah. That's they how they did it. They yeah. wanted to express themselves and make sure they they need to learn from us Americans how to row. Yeah. If you're not using a gun, it's just really no. <laughs> <laughs> you're never going to win your argument. Yeah, they don't last long enough rows with guns. That's the thing. They're over too quickly. Did you see the citizenship test? Yeah, yeah, we're all, yeah it's from, really on, on Twitter today, we're all taking it. We've all failed. Yeah. We've all failed. But the weird thing is, it's the questions they're asking, you just think, all right, point one, nobody in this country I know knows what year it was made legal for a woman to initiate divorce proceedings against her husband, right? And, Mr. and the thing is, all the dates are within that's about... One of, that's one of the questions. That's one of the questions. How would that be the kind of thing you could judge somebody's what fitness to live question? in this country on? <laughs> what would you, were there oh, the, the, I think it's still online. It's well, crazy. The American it's one is far better. When, when you're that's becoming quite easy to pass. Well, well no, it's, it's actually not. I, I had to get them to change it. I took out an American <laughs> because Because one of the things you had to do is you have to hold your hand up and you have to say, this is the proudest day of my life. And I said, I'm what sorry. It it's not. Yeah. It's absolutely not. I'm doing this because otherwise my wife's going to be deported. And, uh, and I want to just be well, clear about that. You should be proud of that. Well, I was relatively <laughs> proud of that. I'm not totally. This is the... This is the most humble day of my life. There were all these friends of mine who were laughing at so me. So you didn't do it? No, I did it, but I got the judge to change the, the oath. Because this is ridiculous. I you, can you never let it go, Clarence? <laughs> <laughs> Your poor bloody but wife. It's all very well saving the world's dispossessed and abused, but just some judge. Stick your hand in the air, read the spiel, and sod off home. We could all Excuse have me, yeah. may I approach the bench? You, 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 you must be a bloody scream in Starbucks. <laughs> <laughs> Every now and again they say, oh, we should have, you know, a Britishness test. And quite frankly, the way you pass a Britishness test is flatly refusing to take the bloody thing. <laughs> Some news uh, just in, actually, while you've all been in the theatre this evening. David Cameron said earlier this year that he loves the NHS, uh, in which case we have a warning for Samantha Cameron. If he tells you he loves you, He's planning to sell off your most valuable part to the private sector. In the United States, Sarah Palin will not be running for president. She announced her decision after much prayer. So maybe there is a God. Bahrain has ordered a retrial for 20 medical staff who were convicted of treating anti-government protesters. The medical staff are hoping the retrial will take place in Italy. <laughs> and Hamas 
are to release the Israeli soldier Gilad Shalit. That's one Israeli prisoner, apparently being worth 1,000 Palestinian ones, which seems to sum up Israel's attitude to the Palestinian question far more succinctly than we could ever manage. Um, also this week, David Cameron has called for people to report illegal immigrants through Crime Stoppers. It brings a whole new meaning to phoning for a Chinese takeaway. <laughs> Press 1 if you're a vindictive neighbour. <laughs> Press 2 if you've swallowed media scaremongering. Press 3 if you're just a racist. <laughs> How do you tell if someone's an illegal immigrant? By looking at them. How do you tell? Hello? I think my neighbour's an illegal. What? Uh, well, he's got a cat. <laughs> strangest thing about this summer, of course, was all these momentous events that we touched on earlier, and yet the number one topic in conversation, of conversation in Britain, was the weather. Of course it was. It's Britain. But then, in early October, it hits 90 degrees, and suddenly nobody's complaining anymore. Sure, 90 degrees is nice. But in Britain? In October? <laughs> to me, it felt like the opening scene in a disaster movie. People in England wandering around in t-shirts and thongs, laid back, happy, relaxed, and the camera cuts to the Siberian Arctic, menacing music, tundra melting, Scandinavia suddenly underwater. But for British people, it would be paradise. Sitting in a riverside pub garden, beer in one hand, mobile phone in the other, watching polar bears drift up the Thames <laughs> on icebergs and then reporting them for being illegal immigrants. <laughs> Finally, this evening, uh, in Paris, a meteorite has smashed through the roof of a house belonging to a family called the Comets. <laughs> but they don't speak English, so they can't see the funny side. <laughs> and that is indeed all for this week. All that remains for me to do is to thank our guests, Mitch Ben, Andy Hamilton, Miranda Sawyer, and Clive Stafford-Smith. You've been listening to No Pressure To Be Funny, written by Alistair Barry and Nick Revel, and presented by me, James O'Brien. We are here at the Leicester Square Theatre every Wednesday until the 16th of November with a special Christmas show on Sunday the 18th of December. Thank you very much and good night. <laughs> <laughs>